never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Hi guys, welcome back to my Steps to Sobriety, my show on YouTube and as a podcast with me, your host, Stefan Neff. Another beautiful day for an interview and I've got Nita Sweeney with me. Nita Sweeney, I've been looking very much forward to this interview because this woman is a powerhouse. This woman went from suicidal couch potato to ultra marathon. And what do you do? Well, you transform and you actually realize this is really cool what I just did. So you write books and you are coming out. You become vulnerable and share the honest truth about your past and the way you are now transforming. So Nita is exactly on the same path as I am. We want to make this world a better place by sharing our stories. And therefore, I'm so so glad to have her here on my show. Nita, welcome to my show. Well, thank you so much. I'm really looking forward to having this conversation with you. It's great, uh, great stuff you're doing. Great stuff uh, you're putting out in the world. Oh, thank you. And the same, the same other way around. Oh, Nita. I mean, and, and it's so hard. Where to start? Where to start? Uh, let's go back to your childhood. Uh, who did you want to be? What did you want to be when you when you were a little girl? Oh, I wanted to train horses. Oh, excellent. That, that's because that's what my brother did. I was actually uh-huh. pretty, I rode a little bit, but I was mostly afraid of horses. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, and then I thought I wanted to be a school teacher. And then I thought I wanted to be a musician. I thought I wanted to be a, you know, uh, in an orchestra, all this kind of stuff. And <laughs> and ultimately, I, I always read. I always read. I was a voracious reader from a very young age. And so Ultimately, I wanted to have a book with my name on the cover. (laughs) And now I do. It's kind of crazy. Well, exactly. Exactly. And a lot of people uh, say that, oh, I want to write a book. And they never do. So the sheer fact that you have done that not only once, but twice, but three times, um, uh, gives us already a bit of an idea that you're a woman, once you put your mind to it, um, then that that you make things happen. And so you're an action, an action woman, so to speak. <laughs> uh, and that is beautiful. But I'm sure that this was not the real whole story. We are, we are not no. just turning into these action people that we too are now. Unfortunately, there is the the night of the dark soul in in the film parlor, or it, there is the the darkness. Unfortunately, in our in our life that that makes us live a life that is probably not so nice sometimes we want to escape that reality with uh whatever it is that is your poison whether that be alcohol which was mine um, or behaviors such as gambling or drugs um tell us a little bit about about your your past what led you to your transformation well, I've always had kind of a melancholy spirit, and I realize now that it was the aptitude for depression or the, mm. you know, kind of the tendency toward um, depressive episodes. Mm. My mother, probably bipolar undiagnosed, my father, um, just sort of one of these people that was kind of like that all the time, and they were both really high achievers but also um, had their own issues. So they both drank a lot and there was a lot of alcohol in my family. And, Mm. you know, so I started drinking pretty young myself. And um, 
<clears throat> that's a big part of the journey for me. It's been a long time since I've had a drink. I don't drink now. But uh, but yeah, I wrecked cars. I got in fistfights. I did all kinds of stuff when I was much, much younger. And yeah, I'm not proud of that. But I, I think about it now and I just feel like such a completely different person. And I think what the transformation, you know, you hear these stories sometimes of people who transform and they end up in jail or they, um, I don't know, just all kinds of horrible things happen. Mine was much more of an internal journey, much more of a um, dissatisfaction and a horrible sadness within myself. And so I wound up, I was a partner in a law firm. I actually am, you know, you talked about, I talked about my parents being achievers. I'm a kind of a high achiever too. So I practiced law for about 10 years, but it was in the last couple of years it was just horrible. Just this awful spiral of being of dreading going to work, all those, you know, all that thing, even though I did pretty well on the outside, things looked good. You know how that is. But on the inside, I was really suffering and I wasn't getting the kind of help I needed. I wound up uh, coming really close to um, suicide and I uh, wound up, you know, in a mental hospital. And that's where I really started getting the help I needed, where I got therapy. And I had quit drinking by then, too. That's what's always interesting is I was I had had thought that drinking was the only problem. So I had, had quit that, was able to to do that. But uh, but yeah, the moods were so bad. And that's been many, many years ago that I was hospitalized, um, got therapy, been on on and off medications and you know, started writing, which was kind of the the thing that was underneath everything, started writing, but uh, but was not successful, was not able to, I had, you know, I have some pretty good publication credits, but was not able to publish a book, which was what I really wanted. I wanted an outside entity to publish my book, to get that kind of gold star. Hmm. And uh, yeah, so, I mean, I, I think- What did um, you write? What was the, was that writing more escapism? Was it- for example, beautiful yeah. stories, or was it yeah, writing no, about writing, you? Yeah, my writing has always been mostly about my life and also mm. processing emotions because mm. I have uh, just a real aptitude for um, kind of the emotional world. And so mm. I would write about my feelings and my thoughts about the people around me and my family and my job and our dog and <laughs> all kinds of things like that. Um but in fact, the the publications, my first published story was in Dog World magazine, and it was about how they um, save dogs' lives by putting them on Ritalin. There are actually hyperactive dogs, you know, attention deficit kind of hyperactivity dogs, and they become aggressive, and without medication, they, they end up being vicious. But they huh. put them on Ritalin, and they calm down. So I, when I learned that, it was just one of those moments I was kind of joking with my therapist because I had, or my therapist, <laughs> my veterinarian, we were, I was joking that my, with my veterinarian that maybe my dog needed an antidepressant. And he said, well, actually, I think she needs Ritalin. And we didn't put her on Ritalin. She was not that far gone. Yeah. But, uh, but I, I said, they do that. And so I started researching it. And that was my first published article was in Dog World Magazine. And then um, I was in Dog Fancy, and <laughs> those were my first pub, first publications were were in you know national American national magazines about dogs. Um, Priceless. So yeah, and that, that's been a long time ago. Those are I don't know if you can you probably can find yeah. them somewhere, but uh, and then I wrote some essays um, about different things. But I always wanted a book. I wanted that big project, and I was always working on a book of some kind or another. But, Why uh, did you want that? 
I don't even know, you know, there, I think it's a, I have a thing about having the complete set of things and a book is now, if it were a series, it wouldn't be a complete set, but a book is a set. It's like a thing. So like with a magazine article, you're just one article in the magazine and not dissing that at all. That's really hard work. And people in journalists mm. are amazing. Um, but uh, but there was something about the book that it was mm. the permanence of it. The You know, and that's where I lived. I lived yeah. in books. I didn't live in magazine as much, mag magazines yeah. as much. So it was kind of my world. But yeah. Oh, beautiful. It is. With hindsight, I mean, you were already high achiever when you achieved things for example when you became a lawyer this would have been a hard slot to get there did you celebrate that as an achievement or did you actually yeah, just say oh um, tick yeah yeah no that's fine okay next what's next yeah no i i did but law school was so hard i mean it was just so difficult i just i am i, I study personality types uh -huh. and my personality type um, of attorneys, <clears throat> there are fewer than maybe 1% of attorneys that are my personality type. Right. And, and I didn't know that until after, long after I was practicing. I was actually practicing when I found that out. Um, but I, I mean, I remember the first day in contract, Greg Travaglio's contract class at, Ohio, you know, the Ohio State University, sitting there and thinking, these people are talking a language I do not understand. I mean, I've read the cases. I read all the same cases they did. I have an excellent undergraduate education, and I have no idea what they're talking about. And then for the next three years, I just struggled to try to keep up, to try to do the work, to try to... And I also, you know, I had chronic depression, so I was kind of going in and out of those. And I was drinking at the time, which is not helpful. Uh, um, but so I had them... When I graduated from law school... I um, asked my family, instead of having, you know, a normal cake, the cake said, thank God it's over. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. And then I went on to practice for 10 more years yeah. after that. So the reason I'm asking that is one of my core beliefs, which is very screwed up, is that I'm a failure. I'm oh. a failure. And I... This is something I can, ah, oh, I need a bloody chisel and go through my brain and get that out. Mm -hmm. um, but it's still deep down. God knows where it comes from, but it's there. And it doesn't matter what I achieve. I will always mm -hmm. think I'm a failure. And I have, an, I have a comment about that, if you're interested. Shoot. Shoot. I have been uh, working with a writing coach. I, I work always with professionals. You know, I never feel like I'm there because I, too, we call that imposter syndrome. Mm. That feeling that I, I'm a fake, I'm a fraud, I'm not, this is not enough, it'll never be enough. And yeah, I definitely had that. I mean, in some ways, the the law degree and then passing the bar exam and then, you know, practicing law and then becoming a partner, those were all little things on a list I checked off. It's like, on right. to the next, on to the next, on to the next. Um, but uh, this one teacher I work with, Becca Syme is her name, and she insists that imposters don't get imposter syndrome that the people who get <laughs> imposter syndrome are not imposters they are people who are concerned with quality and, and they are people who judge themselves harshly and shouldn't but they do 
And so she just, she has t-shirts, I think, and mugs that say imposters don't get imposter syndrome because her idea is that we have this um, kind of a radar for quality and that we're just wanting to be as good as we can be at whatever we're doing. And we also probably have some internal wiring that makes it easier for us to see all that and to judge all that and to compare ourselves. Um, but that has been so helpful to me because I feel like a fraud and a fake every single day, at least a couple times a day. And I just remember, oh, that's right. <laughs> imposters don't get imposter syndrome. It still Peter, makes me feel, I still feel the same way, but yeah. How beautiful is that? How beautiful is that? You just made my day. I oh, had not yeah. come across that. that. Attribute Becca Syme because that's I know. <laughs> unbelievable. <laughs> but guys, that yeah. is so important. That is so important. These are here. We are. I make myself vulnerable uh, by by being honest about my story. What happens? Someone else is doing the same thing. In this case, Nita. And what happens? We both grow. We both uh, change irreversibly, and we grow for the better. So talk about post-traumatic growth. Talk about post, post. Uh, I don't know, whatever labels you want to give it. I am growing every day, and that is the life I love. Sometimes I win, sometimes I learn, those kind of things. That is what makes a good day. Anita, you just made my day. Thank oh, you thank so you. much. <laughs> so glad. I, I just share, yeah, I just feel like I I almost like a, I don't know, like a social worker or something. I gather these resources and then I share them with other people through kind of my need a filter, mm. the way I see the world. And that's what you're doing. You're mm. gathering with the people you interview, the other things you do, you gather that information and then you share them with other people. So, and but it's always filtered through our individual personality and our experiences. And, you know, what you said about trauma, I am... Um, I think that there's so many levels to trauma and I keep thinking I should just be over it. That this shouldn't affect me. I, I should be, are we done yet? Can we, can, yeah. can I like graduate finally? Yeah. I don't think we do that until the end. <laughs> nice try. Nice try. Yeah, exactly. The problem is exactly. The trauma happens in layers. And healing happens in layers. It's the old onion principle. And it is it is amazing. And sometimes we're not ready to heal from a certain trauma. So you can think, hey, I've done it now. And yeah, bullshit. <laughs> I've been there many times. <laughs> nice try. Um, and then, but it's 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 more the never-ending stir uh, journey. And it is a meandering path where you can't see much ahead. You see maybe a little bit and you move towards what you can see. And then suddenly there's a curve and there's a detour. And often enough, it's a very beautiful detour that you didn't expect. But the detour might suddenly get very steep and you, it makes you sweat and it's going to be hard work. That is really what life has been for me. But the difference between the first 45 years and the second 45 years will be that I numbed myself, rightly or wrongly, for a very long time. I was a workaholic, I was an alcoholic, and there are a few other holics probably somewhere there, um, but these were the two main ones. And um, it's only now, in the last eight years, that I begin to cherish the privilege of living intentional, 
and being here in the moment. But that is something I had to learn, and I would have never learned that had I not gone through the darkness. And I think that is the same with you. So here you were, lawyer, out there, but feeling like like being in the wrong in the wrong body um because there you were uh there's i can see where you're coming from you need to be a certain type of person to be a lawyer um and if you're an empath and if you're very in tune with your emotions that's probably not very easy um, well, the conflict was the problem it was just that i just hate conflict which but I, it's ridiculous now that I think about it. How would why would you ever go? I mean, that's the whole point of uh, law. <laughs> so why did you go into law then? Because I could write and I was smart and I didn't know what else to do. And uh, I had taken, I was very interested. I took all these political science classes. I interned yeah. for the prosecutor's office. Um, and some of my friends had sort of taken that same path. Mm. And I applied and I got into, you know, the, not my top, my top school probably would have been Harvard, but I got into Ohio State, which is really hard to get into. Mm. And so nice. I thought, yeah. why not? <laughs> there you are. Well, when did you do your law exam? Oh, um, the 80s. So it would have been 1985. Yeah, there you go. Um, so that means that was still a time when alcohol was ubiquitous. It was everywhere. And certainly in hard driving professions, such as law, such as other other uh, marketing, etc. There would have been, I mean, it would have been a very wet environment. Oh, yeah. uh, is, so you're, you're forgiven to, of course, fall back onto that. Um, was alcohol a friend to you? Oh, for a while, it, well, you know, it's sort of it. It's like it worked until it didn't. Correct, um, exactly. It's a, it's yeah. a spirits. It's mm. a sedative. It's a, you mm. know, can it? It makes you feel less inhibited because mm. it depresses the inhibitions, but then Correct. ultimately it is a depressant. So it's correct. Uh, what? Yeah. Who was the Nita who came out uh, after two classes of wine or whatever you uh, you well, was? Uh, she was either a very deep thinker or she was fighting people. <laughs> mostly I mostly I just I went with more within myself, but I was a little bit more outgoing. I tend to be pretty introverted, not uh, um, not socially. I'm not afraid of people. I'm not afraid of public speaking or anything like that. But I uh, I need a lot of alone time. Mm. And so the you know, when I drank, I was more vivacious and more you know all those more outgoing mm. and um and just not as afraid which was often stupid mm. did you you were saying you were in tune with your emotions was that tr really true i mean could you cry or did mm -hmm. it need actually the encouragement of the alcohol for you no to i could yeah no i probably cried less when i drank oh interesting it was almost like the opposite. It was it was yeah. almost like it, you know, it it filtered everything. Everything was sort of through a veil instead of it all coming at me so yeah. uh oh. powerfully all the time. It yeah. filtered um the intent because I, I am so highly sensitive that everything was just all sensations and especially people's emotions, you know, the little tiny raised eighbrow, I see the the 132nd of an inch uh, corner uh, of your uh, eyebrow uh, go up and uh, down. Uh, that most people uh, don't even notice. And so that kind of stuff was tempered a little bit, which made me uh, um, 
more brave because I wasn't constantly, I wasn't as hypervigilant when I drank. It's, it's funny because some people get more paranoid. Some people get uh, more uh, like that. I was sort of the opposite. Uh, I was, I always had the masks up and I needed the alcohol to let that come out. So when I was yeah. completely tired after I then our 96 hour work weekend, <sighs> um, I would have a day off and I would pour myself typically red wine, red wine did the trick and Les Miserables, the soundtrack of Les Miserables. And I would suddenly bawl my eyes out, snot, tears. That was the only time when I could release and could release those things. So we two had opposite uh, reactions yeah. with our alcohol yeah. and just shows that every every man, every woman's journey will be different and with different mm-hmm. core beliefs, sometimes same core beliefs, um, and uh, but different reactions, what these, what drugs or alcohol or behaviors actually do to us. But they, uh, it's it's so common that I hear that it was a friend until it was no longer. And there mm-hmm. you go. Um, how long or when did alcohol, when did you realize that alcohol was not really something that was helping you? It was in the early 90s. So it's been a long time, about 30 years ago. I, um, <clears throat> I uh, had, uh, my mother had gotten sober. She quit drinking. Oh, wow. And... Uh, some other family members, uh, she died sober. She's been done, gone a long time. Mm. Um, and that changes a family mm. that, you know, family is kind of like a mobile, one of those hanging mobiles. Yeah. And it has this balance. And yeah. then when one piece, when one piece, <laughs> yeah, it suddenly has to go like this. And so that changed things. And yeah. it's sort of a wake up call. And some other family members got sober. And, and um, I ended up going into into a program for people whose family members are um, alcoholics or who are recovering and learned a lot there. But in that process, eventually had to look at myself and my own drinking. Mm. And that's, uh, that's how I ended up getting, um, you know, finally getting to a place where I realized this, uh, you know, this is not working. And I had tried to quit a number of times. I played kind of these games and you know, not successfully, very <laughs> unsuccessfully. Um, and so I don't know, you know, it's sort of like, it's the kind of thing where you, I'm not totally sure a lot of people really know what finally flipped the switch. Mm. It's just, you just had enough. I just had enough. Beautiful. Yeah. It was just, Beautiful. that was it. So, um, so it's been a long time, mm. but, um, and not drinking helps a lot. But I still have, I always think of it as sort of two diseases where I have the um, alcoholism and then I also have the chronic depression on bipolar two, um, or that's a category, whatever it is. I have the mood swings of that. You know, I'm not ever sure about the categories, whether how great that is. But uh, it was helpful to me because I couldn't figure out what the heck was going on when I had all these, you know, I, mm-hmm. I had quit drinking and thought that was the fix, but there were other other things going on. So um so that became, that's actually feels like a much longer story was the mental health challenges for me. And often enough, you have to stop with the addiction first before you then can explore actually the mental health, because you look at it all through the veil of of alcohol or the haze of whatever drug you're taking. And it's only when you stop actually hiding and when you, when you take ownership and actually really give yourself the opportunity to explore your own emotions and what is really truly happening within you. Only then can you actually do that work. 
Um, there, I don't know how many self-help books I read or Tony Robbins courses I started, um, typically with a glass of wine in my hand and not taking action. Bloody hell. So I was not ready for the change until um, I got clean and sober in my head. Um, yeah, uh, that that's one thing. I have heard of some people who just stop drinking and they're fine because they don't have the other. I mean, they, they do some emotional work. They do, yeah. you know, other stuff, but they don't need medication. They might do a little therapy, but they get mm. okay pretty quickly. And it was almost like I got... I almost got, I, I got a better at first and then almost worse yeah. because I no longer had the alcohol to medicate um, <laughs> the, you know, I don't know whether, you know, I, I, I'm not, not a doctor. You are, I'm a lawyer um, and a writer, all that stuff, but I don't know which came first, the biochemical, you know, predisposition to addiction mm. or the mental health issues. But I think there's just a lot of, of both going on, a lot so of true. weaving and it all. So, so, um, true. so yeah. Um, but yeah, I know, I know that, that um, I have worked with people who have tried to um, not stop drinking, but just do therapy <laughs> or take medication and not stop drinking it. So how did that end? It doesn't work. It doesn't work. How's that? How's that? What is that? Is that, how's that work? No, that's right. You know, well, Phil. you know, this, it, that's right. If you're a hangover, uh, do you really want to go for a 10 K run? Uh, probably not. Okay. Yeah. So again, that is one example. I plenty of hungover people and it's not always fun. It's, oh, it's not fun for the sober people. Let's say. <laughs> <laughs> oh goodness. Oh, you're quite right. But sometimes you, whatever the journey takes for you to make changes, uh, if it is going on a run and, and puking your guts out on the side and then realizing actually now this bloody alcohol is not good for me. Well, Maybe that is what it takes for some people, uh, whatever yeah. it is. So I'm, yeah, I'm no, quite ju no judgment for me. Exactly. Nope, I, we, we each have to, I just am grateful when somebody finally gets it, where they finally start yeah. to do the work. Cause, yeah. cause we, you know, people die of this stuff. It's not, we, it's easy for me to kind of laugh sometimes and no, no, no. think about the good old days, but people die of this. I mean, they die of alcoholism. They die of mental health issues. They die. I know they so kill true. other people, whether yep. it accidentally, you know, so it's, uh, yeah, yeah. it's really is and, a big deal. Oh dear. So here you were Nita in a profession that was really not suiting you and you had stopped drinking, uh, kudos to you, but so you're sober now. What, um, how did the story continue? Well, that's where the depression started getting really bad was because I didn't have that buffer. And the other thing I had done at the same time was I had started meditating. Mm. So very shortly after I got sober, I started, um, I was introduced to meditation by a man who's now my husband. And, and that really wakes you up too, because you sit with these uncomfortable emotions. Oh. And so anything that I had done to kid myself into thinking I could continue um, to practice law, at least in the way I was, uh, it was gone. It was, you know, kind of not ripped from me, but it was gone. And so I couldn't hide from that reality. I mean, it had been the, it had been the reality for a long time. But uh, but yeah, so I that's actually when I ended up being hospitalized 
is because I couldn't imagine it was it was another jumping off place. I couldn't imagine being an, an attorney and I couldn't imagine not being an attorney. It was very similar to what happens when you, you know, I can't imagine drinking. I can't imagine not drinking. Yeah. Very similar, yeah. only actually much more, um, much more devastating. Cool. And uh, this is your livelihood. Yeah. This is your livelihood. It you've, is. It's my livelihood you've... and it's my identity. Oh, you were to take the words out of my <laughs> mouth, girl. <laughs> That's what I was yes. about to say. Who? How oh did you introduce gosh. yourself? I'm Stefan Neff. I'm a pain physician. That was yes. me. And they said, no, 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 who are you? I just told you I'm a pain physician. <laughs> so you were the attorney. Right, right. So that's <laughs> that was, and not only was I an attorney, I was in a, a partner in a boutique uh, law firm. I mean, it was a very, you know, in this very small law firm. So uh -huh. um, yeah, yeah, I still, some days I still struggle with that a little bit. But that's what happened is that I ended up taking a leave of absence from work yeah. and with no solution for how to, I mean, I was in therapy by then and I was on medication by then. But the other thing that happens is sometimes, especially with antidepressants, you start getting your energy back before your mood increases. And so I started having enough mental energy to create a plan to end my life before I no longer wanted to end my life. And that's that was that very dangerous intersection. Mm. And so um, so I'm, you know, I had the plan, I planned to carry it out. And my um I missed a therapy appointment. I mean, I really I don't even I sometimes I don't even like to think about it because I think I would be dead, but I was supposed to go to therapy that morning when I was planning on, you know, killing myself. And And they called me when I didn't show up, which I'm not sure they always do that, but they called me pretty quickly. And for some reason, I answered the phone. And so um, I don't know if the reception heard what was in my voice or whatever, but she said, why don't you just come on in? Just come in now. We'll, we'll figure out something. And I got in there and I don't, I don't know if my, I, you know, I don't, it's been a long time ago, but, but long story short, they figured out pretty quickly that the Nita who had been showing up to appointments before then was was partly a facade because I, <laughs> you know, I was still kind of in my pajamas and I hadn't had a chance to put that. That was back where I still wore, make, wore makeup. But, um, yeah, I hadn't had a chance to kind of pull myself together the way I yeah. usually did yeah. to present to the therapist. And so, uh, yeah, they they said, we we need you to call your husband because... <laughs> You're not leaving here on your own. Uh, we can either, you know, we can either call an ambulance or he can take you in, but we need you. We want you to go to the hospital where because we don't think you're safe. And uh, and they were right. I I was a bit stunned and a bit once I got there and continued to talk to them. I I thought, you know, you just you came this close to no longer being here. This close, a phone call away. So. Uh, so yeah, that uh, that's what happened. Is that it just felt my identity, my income, my um, everything. That not everything because I had this amazing husband. We had two wonderful dogs, two great stepsons. I have my sister, my brother. You know, my parents were still living, so there was, I had a lot of support. Um, but I couldn't figure out that one piece, and so yeah, I'm just I'm just so grateful that I have because so many people 
they can't afford help here. You know, I live in the United States and there's the whole financial situation with insurance and, oh my gosh, it's probably not even a road we want to go down, but, um, but yeah, I was a partner in a law firm. So I had this amazing health insurance and ability to, to access care that a lot of people don't have. Mm. And uh, it saved my life. Wow. Wow. What can you say to that? Because these are the fundamental moments in someone's life. Were you relieved when you were admitted? Was there a sense no, of... No, no, it didn't. Because what happened was I could not figure out. It took... Um, I ended up having to go on disability. And I right. struggled with that so much. I just fought that. Mm. Um, but I... I couldn't imagine working and I was not capable, you know, I wasn't mm. capable of it. And yet I couldn't imagine not doing that. And so that, that struggle continued for really a couple of years while I was in and out of therapy, mm. in groups, in partial hospital, you know, in and out of partial hospitalization. It was really a struggle. The, the late nineties, wow. mid, the early to late nineties were just really tough for me. And you know, I, I eventually just had to accept that that's what I was going to have to do. Mm. And that's when things started to come together when I realized that you have that safety net for a reason. That's what that safety net is for. It's not that you're a slacker, which is what my voice, we talked about, <laughs> did we talk about imposters? Seems like I'm hearing it go through. So I'm not quite, yeah. um, you know, but that, that's the message I got was that, that you're a slacker if you take this, this money, if you, Excellent. you know, and, um, um, Excellent. And so, uh, so that's been, that was a real challenge. And then that's when I started to get healing. And then, you know, I was on and off different medications and I really spent the next, gosh, 20 years, I would say, doing okay, managing, doing all right. Um, but it wasn't until I found an exercise a movement form, let's call it, not even exercise, um, that I could stick with, that brought me joy, that it, that was a missing piece for me. And now I feel I, you know, I, I never want to say, oh, this is what you have to do, or what I mm -hmm. do is for everybody or anything like that. But I needed the meditation. I needed um, the medication therapy. So I needed the professional help. But on the not so professional side, I needed to meditate regularly. That's my thing. I need to do some kind of writing practice, whether it's, um, you know, writing practice, journaling kinds of thing, free writing, or whether it's actually working on books, but it has to be that kind of processing in writing with my brain. Mm. And I need movement. I need physical activity that gives me those happy brain chemicals. And once I got those, that's when things really started to change. All of that other stuff, very important part of my history, but it feels a bit like ancient history. Mm. And it was the the couch potato to um, 5K was probably the shift. And I probably could have stuck with 5K, but did we mention the whole achiever thing? <laughs> <laughs> I felt like yes. be running 5K and yes. be just fine. Yes. I could be probably walking quickly around the block and be just yeah. fine, but- did I mention the achiever thing? Yeah. Oh, yeah. The whole Excellent. gold star thing. Excellent. 
And that's so beautiful, though. I mean, there's this. Come on, there are there are far worse addictions, and there are far oh, yeah. worse oh, I, uh, things no, that you could do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just joking about it, but it's it is medicine yeah. for me. And the, let's be clear about that. There is the the one aspect which is that movement is inherently good for you. No two ways around it. It gives you a such a beautiful appreciation, especially movement outside in nature there's so much to be said about that but you're right it doesn't actually take so much to get that happening but then when you actually uh, delve deeper into exercise and spend longer time doing exercise other things happen and you were already saying the meditation you were already saying the mindfulness that has played a role in your life now i can't imagine anything more boring then running 10Ks, 20Ks, 30Ks. And I, I guess that's the that's the reason I stopped at 10Ks. Even in my best times when I was uh, in, in university, I every night I, or every other night I went running. Uh, but after 10Ks, I got bored out of my brains. Um, but here you are. You have actually managed to combine the mindfulness slash meditation with running tell us a bit about that because the ultra the endurance races that you're doing or the endurance training that you're doing that is not just once around the block is it no it's six times around a five mile loop with a little mile and a half out and mile and a half back <laughs> <laughs> exactly um, i love i'm actually i i kind of joke and this might be a personality quirk but i do have a bit of an infinite capacity for boredom. Um, and that could be from years being uh, the youngest child by many, many years. So my I brother see. and sister are much older. So right. I spent a lot of time alone and we lived on a 50 acre farm and my parents weren't around a lot. So it was like me and the dogs, you know, me and uh -huh. the horses, me and the cats. So I, I spent a lot of time alone. I'm used to that. But, um, but yeah, but what I very quickly... I don't know exactly how long after I did start running, I realized that I could meditate while I was running. And that changed a lot of it because uh, I have a focus. I have something to come back to. I have a little task to keep my mind busy. Um, and, you know, some people listen to music. That's great. I had a couple of close calls with cars. And so I'm kind of a no, I'll just listen to nature uh, kind of person. But um, uh, but yeah, so picking a, a color, picking a sound in the spring, picking like the scent of lilacs where I live. I live in central Ohio, United States. And the spring here, the trees and the flowers just go crazy and they can be very fragrant. So mm. picking that on a day that I know that's going to happen, mm. uh, choosing a body sensation so the the sensation of my feet hitting the ground the um maybe the feeling of uh the crown of my head just sort of being in space and time moving along different things like that uh noticing if i'm uh, kind of upright or if i'm slouched over just mm -hmm. noticing all that mm -hmm. and the awareness of that it becomes interesting to me and then of course my mind wanders and next thing i know i'm thinking about something else and so I just gently bring it back to whatever mm. I've chosen for whatever period of time I've chosen, not necessarily the whole, the whole period I'm I'm running, but but yeah, it's become a way um, 
to combat boredom because yeah, I mean, it can get really boring. It just can. But then again, what does boredom feel like? Where do I feel boredom in my body? What are the thoughts and body sensations that arise when I'm bored? What is boredom? So that becomes everything is grist for the mill. Everything becomes the object of meditation. Nice. How long does your does your 52 mile run last? Uh, let's see. The first year, I think it was 10 hours and the second year was nine. So yeah. a long time because I'm slow and I don't care. Mm -hmm. I make no apologies for being slow. That's that's my point. Um, well, first of all, wow, what an achievement. Uh, mm -hmm. to, I take my, my hat off. This yeah. is wow. Um, well done, you. And but it's I'm intrigued about the uh, the your ability to deal with the mental side of long distance running. Um, I had not considered it in the way of meditation. Um, personally, I mean, it's int intriguing what you said with your um, with your two close calls, uh, listening to music. That's I think really really important for everyone to to who wants to now restart their life often enough you 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 get sober and now you think okay who am i and you've forgotten you or you maybe you never found out so now you start with something new and maybe you go into the gym and then what typically happens is you haven't moved your body for 20 years and now you go all out and you think yeah i can do that free weights yeah and then i see you for shoulder surgery um <laughs> several weeks later so there's there's one typical outcome um, the other outcome is, of course, with the running. We we try to go out there, and I see enough runners going with earphones, and yeah, there is a very real risk. For me, with my PTSD to go running, one of the traumas I had in my life is that I did some nasty, nasty ankle trauma um, when I was running, and um, I ended up sort of crawling back free case. Um, and it wasn't pretty. Um, so I'm acutely aware that I don't want my mind to drift because my ankles do roll from now and then. And it is what it is. Um, so therefore, guys, so just take it as a warning. Don't just say, oh, great, I let my mind wander. Please look at where you're walking, what you're walking on. Um, maybe if you want to explore something like that, don't go cross-country running um, or on some some wooden paths, which is typical for New Zealand here. There are roots everywhere. So guys, find a track that is a track, then, then go for it, okay? So just a little warning right, there that you don't meet me. <laughs> Right. No, that's one of the that's one of the reasons I think um, using mindfulness or some kind of attention focused meditation while you exercise is so important because I if see. you are present to uh, where you are, then you. you're not going to trip over those roots. But you have but it's a practice. You're not going to be able to let's say you're going to go run a mile on a very a uh, rooty trail that has all kinds of things you could trip over mm. chances are you don't have the focus to do that attention thing i'm talking about right mm. away mm. so that's why we practice we uh, practice in short nice. intervals yeah. we practice in we practice in settings that don't matter we practice in safe settings that's nice. why you know sitting practice is helpful because you're just sitting down you're probably not I mean, if you fell asleep, you might fall over and injure yourself, but if you're sitting <laughs> on a chair, you might slip out of the chair yes. or something like that. Yeah. But chances are you aren't going to physically injure yourself. And also we use breath meditation because everybody breathes. So you can't 
say, oh, I don't have that. You know, I don't see that. I don't smell that. I don't, whatever. Um, everybody breathes. So yeah, but it's about bringing yourself back to the present. And it's not always comfortable at first. We're huh. used to living distracted. I mean, I still, <laughs> I've, I've been meditating for 30 years and I still find myself, you know, scrolling on social media for an hour and go, where'd that hour go? I don't know. Yeah. yeah. What happened? So it's uh it's, it's, it's a, it's a, thing that you you have to have the interest for it yeah and then you have to practice it and i the the boredom one the one that i always suggest is in if you're in a grocery line or a store line and you feel bored waiting you feel a sense of impatience maybe waiting instead of taking out your phone and scrolling or texting somebody just stand there and be bored for a minute be impatient for a minute, just for just a few, few seconds. Notice what impatience and boredom feels like. And then, Beautiful. you know, bring out your phone, whatever. But because you're practicing a skill set, just like it's like lifting weights. Oh, nice. You're just not going to be able to do it out the gate. Nice. And so people think, oh, well, I can't do this because I just, you know, well, mm. yeah, of course you can't do it. You couldn't walk when you were, you know, when you were <laughs> a baby either. Um, so, but you practice in situations that don't matter so that some other time when it does matter, you have the skill set for it. Oh, I love that. I love that because that very much is in tune with, uh, my own experience in, uh, in rehab where I had to learn about my own emotions and that's the dreaded 10 o'clock in the morning feelings session which typically for those of you who don't know what it is you're sitting in a circle no uh, uh in the sunglasses no hat nothing in your hands um so you're not allowed to distract yourself and then for an hour you talk and typically the, the, the way it starts with is good morning everyone and then the bloody guy who runs the session keeps his mouth shut and doesn't say a word you look up there and you look around <laughs> and then someone says something and someone else says something. And sometimes it's joy, sometimes tears, anger, things come out and you're experiencing them. And you think, what the hell is that? Oh, I want a drink. My God, that's anger. Oh, no, no, I need to drink. And it's, it's those kind of things. So to actually learn about your emotions, to experience them as the waves of neurochemicals that they are, um, that is such a powerful insight, your emotional awareness, your emotional, um, how do you call that? Uh, literacy, I guess. Um, yeah, is, that's a good way. Yeah, literacy, I like that. It is ultimately, we don't know our emotions until you actually start uh, intentionally exploring them and see where they come from, what has triggered them, uh, how do they feel? And only then are you, do you, step into that position where you become free of them, where you realize, okay, the neurochemicals are coming, um, but you realize that you have got a choice in how you respond to them. And that is exactly what you have just said. Use that time that was given to you as a gift. Right now, you have to stop because you're standing in that bloody queue. Right now, you have to stop. <laughs> you can choose what you do with that time. And it might be that you do that one text that you have been procrastinating about. Cool, that's good. But you're using it intentionally uh, in a positive way. Or you could 
actually meditate or, you know, doing something like that. I love that. I love that. I did not consider things like the meditation because when I meditate, I my mind goes blank and I, whilst my mind maybe goes somewhere, it gently comes back to nothingness. Therefore, automatically, I excluded that from anything outside um, where I, where my PTSD hypervigilance uh, wants to be ready for everything. So therefore, right, I did not... Right. I did not consider uh, uh, meditation as a means of in, in of being truly present and therefore maybe even more receptive to. Right. And that's why it's extra important. It's extra important. If you have any mental health issue, any trauma, PTSD, anything like that, and most of us actually do, mm. um, to do it in these safe, tiny doses mm. so that it's because um, otherwise you end up triggered and then you're off to the races and it's not helpful mm. and then you think oh meditation is dangerous uh, mm. but it's it's like desensitization is kind of how i think about it nice. where we're we're normally running from emotions because yeah. even joy we're pushing and pulling on it because we want more um <laughs> we want you know it's like craving they talk about craving and aversion so we want more of the good things and we want the bad things to stay away mm. so this is a way of holding the pleasant things with open hands and also holding the unpleasant things with open hands, but it's a skill. So you're not going to be able to just do it right away. So we practice in these smaller doses. That's what I, that's the way I do it. I've studied with a number of different teachers and this is, again, this is kind of the neatest spin on it. on meditation. That's what's worked for me. (laughs) Absolutely love it. Uh, Wow. Wow. How would you how would you recommend someone who has been a couch potato? How would you recommend them to start? Well, there are a lot of easy beginner training programs. The one that I failed at but was also effective is called Couch to 5K. All right. <laughs> and it's a nine week program yeah. that took me well over 20 weeks to do. Uh-huh. And I still can't run three miles in 30 minutes, which is like the ultimate goal. That's never going to happen. And that's okay. But just some kind of a program like that so that you're doing uh, intervals, essentially. You're doing some walking and then a very short amount of running and then walking and then running so that you're mm-hmm. um, not just doing what we what you talked about, where it's like, okay, today I'm going to run. And we end up sprinting. We know, this isn't sprinting. This is jogging, slow jogging. And the, the program actually says, you know, 60 seconds of jogging. That's what got my attention. And then, so that's how you train. But for me, I ultimately had to have a goal achiever. And for me, it turned out to be a 5K. Um, Long story how I ended up with that, because I never intended to be a public runner. But um, so some people, they need like a charity race for a cause that's you know important yep. to them yep somebody else might need to make a bet with a friend um you know i bet you can't run this 5k let's do it you might need <laughs> to train with somebody because yep. you need the fellowship yep. or accountability you might need to hire a coach because you need that level of accountability so a lot of it's about knowing who you are and finding the thing that fits your particular skill skill set so that you're not trying to force yourself 
to do something that's not you and that doesn't that you know just doesn't work for you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but for me, it was it was I actually um, saw a social media post of a high school friend, and I was on that sofa again. It had been a long time since I'd had a dark, dark place. I was forty eight, I think, or forty nine. I was about to turn fifty, and she wrote, "Call me crazy, but this." running is getting to be fun. And I had to read it twice, maybe three times because I thought her, him, she's not athletic. I knew, you know, we, we rode horses, but we didn't, we were never in sports or anything like that. I yeah. was in the marching band, you know, it wasn't, which is actually a physical activity, but uh, it didn't compute at all. And so I just watched her for a while. So that's the other thing is you never know who's watching. You never know what kind of impression you're making. True, on people. true, 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 true. And then I eventually got brave enough. You know, I was miserable and she didn't look miserable. She looked like she actually was having fun. So I had, you know, I was on medication. I stopped drinking many, many years before I was on medication. I was in therapy. I was meditating somewhat, not as much as I had been before or do now. Uh, I was doing my writing thing, but I didn't have the movement piece. And so I um, got brave and looked up her training plan. It's not her training plan, but the training plan she was using. And that's what it said, 60 seconds of jogging. It said a lot of other things too. Mm-hmm. But uh, but that was the day where it clicked for me, where I thought, I can try this. And so I leashed up the dog and we went down into this ravine that's very hidden. It's like a floodplain. So it's uh, near, real close to my house, but nobody could see me. Of course, this was like a Tuesday afternoon or something. Nobody's home in my neighborhood anyway. But I was a little paranoid. And um, very concerned. And uh, yeah, and that's how I started with I had a digital timer, those kitchen timers, and took it down there for 60 seconds. And then, you know, we did, again, intervals, 60 seconds of jogging. I forget, it was a minute of walk or two minutes of walking. And then we just did intervals for a while. And it was the first time I had done anything physical in a long, long time. And I had gotten to such a low point that I felt like I couldn't complete tasks I set out to do. Um, I'd had a I'd had a bunch of grief, a whole bunch of people die. I'd had um, a bunch of disappointments with writing. I, I just had gotten to a place where it was just really, really dark again. And uh, so I had to try a different tool. And that's that's the other thing. I, sometimes when people are running, I'll if I'm cheering at the end, I'll be I'll I'll yell, you know, find another gear, find another gear. And I always think that um, that's what I needed. I needed another tool. I needed a different gear because I what well, the things I was doing were maintaining, but I wasn't thriving. And then that put in motion things that I can't even, I it just has been so um sometimes very difficult, but also amazing that I'm I just I'm so grateful for my friend. And she had no idea. She was just posting her runs on social media. I'm not sure if she still even runs. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. Well, so true. So true, isn't it? <laughs> oh goodness. Uh, what an amazing, amazing uh journey and transformation you have undergone there. Uh and it is it is a growth that keeps going, isn't it? Um yes. having said that, um we both are on the right side of 50. Um and uh, <laughs> the upside um, of the, of the dirt. That's the right. That's of the right. Dirt, right? <laughs> um, how are your knees? How are that's right, exactly. How are your knees? How are your hips? Mm. How's your spine? Better than ever. They're Good. actually much better when I'm running. 
That's and exactly. part of that, you know, yeah. I'm really fussy about shoes. I'm uh, fussy about my form. I'm fussy about running slowly most of the time. Yeah. Not doing, I do some speed work, but not very often. Yeah. Um, you know, run slower than you think you can stand to run. Mm. And your chances of injury are much less. Absolutely agreed, 100%. And I think yeah. that is where we all need to be aware. Uh, as I said, I cannot tell you how many men in the 40s, 50s, 60s I treat as an anesthetist with injuries where they thought they're still 21. And it's just bullshit. Um, we are like that. We men specifically are idiots. Okay. If you listen to me, you're an idiot. Okay. Um, it is just, we are like that. It's that bloody mask, that bloody bravado um, that is just driving me nuts. And why? Because I recognize myself so much in that. God, I wore those masks yeah. for such a long time. I still well, do. It's, it's but... a cultural thing, too. Mm. I mean, were you, I mean, I don't know about you, but I know my brother was raised, you know, don't cry. I'll give you something to cry about. Stop something crying. Like you know, yeah. I mean, and he was the one that they gave all the harder, physically harder tasks to. And I mean, it just that it was just the way we're raised i think we're i think there's a lot of change coming and i mm. applaud you in what you're doing with it because men die from this i mean they really do they die at their own hand and they're actually much more likely to succeed at mm. suicide than yeah. women are um because of the methods they use and it's very sad it's horrible and so uh, so yeah keep on telling i mean i'm not sure that they're idiots but that's that's how you're programmed yes. Yes, we are. <laughs> we are. The Y chromosome comes with the idiot. Okay, I'm sorry. There is there is something. Um, we do. Yeah, we, we testosterone do. poisoning. I know. It's, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. And I I can say it because I've got that Y chromosome and yeah. I've lived that macho culture. I defined myself by that. I was the ninja, the Rambo, the lethal weapon, um, all that kind of. <sighs> Nowadays, they call it toxic masculinity, and I'm, I'm not necessarily subscribing so much to that. Maybe misguided masculinity. Yes. Toxic is that you beat the shit out of people and, and don't give a damn. Mm -hmm. I was never doing that. Um, and Well, but uh, who, but, but what about the guy in the mirror? What were oh, you doing touché. to him? Oh, please. He got a beating every single <laughs> yeah. second I was awake. And I still do, still do. Mm -hmm. There's still yeah. these voices that come out. Coming back to imposter syndrome. <laughs> See, <laughs> it's the third time yeah. that we come back to that. See, seems to play a role in our lives. <laughs> <laughs> so it is so true. And but again, nowadays we can love about it. Nowadays we see it as a as a as a quirky misguided core belief. Uh, maybe let's call it like that. I'm yeah. I'm quite proud of that achievement, this emotional awareness, this awareness of that core belief that has driven me in the wrong direction and has led me to use alcohol and other other coping mechanisms that maybe are not so nice uh, and not so good for me. Um, and that is where now the, where I've got the privilege to change. I've got the privilege of choice. I can right now say, no, actually, the past does not equal the future. And here I am. And here you are. You are going out there. You have gone through a lot of darkness uh, intrinsically, plus the things that happened to you. 
your writing career that didn't really flourish and blow out there and yes you're it no i mean how many well, times were still, you rejected oh let's see i <laughs> the book the first book that was actually published i pitched 108 agents oh wow um i want to say 180 publishers it's been yeah. don't take agents yeah. And then entered like 30 contests before I got one book. <laughs> and and that doesn't count all the years before that, that I would try, I would, would pitch maybe two or three agents and then go forget it. Yeah. yeah. But uh, but please, I mean, that's a story about J.K. Rowling. Uh, how many times yeah. was Harry Potter right. rejected? And nowadays, these people are probably, uh, yeah, are quite upset about the fact that they have rejected her. Um, right. So, JK, if you actually ever want to come onto my show, I'm just putting <laughs> that out there. You would be a very welcome guest because there's so much I can learn from your journey, from so many aspects of that. So, JK, just just if you're listening. <laughs> but it is. I think the reality is, is that failure is part and parcel of our life. And failure as in not achieving the goal that you have set that's actually normal and we keep beating ourselves up for that um and that's so stupid if you look at at a uh, hall of famers in basketball or in 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 other things i think basketball the the, the best of the best of the best hit the hoop i think 30 times a uh, 30 percent or something like that yeah. is, is, is actually um if you if you look at the reality of it they are failing most of the time if you're traveling from here to your place okay to the states of new zealand to 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 where are you what's the next airport oh columbus ohio usa would be the closest airport here cool so that is about what 12 hours something like that maybe more um yeah so probably how Depending many on if you have to go to yeah <laughs> exactly to go first yeah <laughs> so in reality how many times do you think the pilot is correct on course not very That's... often because no. planes don't fly straight i learned that about radar that well in ships too it's the same thing yeah. they have you know they're sort of like a swath yeah. that they try to stay within yeah. but most of the time the plane is going like this exactly. and then the radar says uh, 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 and then they go, oh, better turn right. And then it goes, exactly. Uh, 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 uh. Yeah. So I learned and, that, I don't know how many years ago. And I went, oh my gosh, that's because you think they just put it on that direct course and off we go. Nope. 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 And it's no. the same with our lives. Okay. It's the same thing there. It is, these failures just mean that you have weird a bit to one side. And that's cool. So uh, perfect. So now you just recorrect your course and you're back on track. And it's the same here. But with that, you need to live intentional. You need to know where do you want to go. If you're just floating, if you're just going somewhere, then you will never be on track. Well, you will always be on track to God knows where. <laughs> but yeah. no, you but need if you to... actually want to get somewhere. Yeah. Well, that's right. That's right. So in right, order to right. do so, you actually need to do the work. And at work mm -hmm. as in beautiful work, you need to start dreaming. When was the last time you guys dreamt out there? What is your dream? Who do you want to become when you grow up? And then, yeah, I want to be rich. Okay, fair call. But rich is a very vague thing. So you need to turn that dream into a vision. So you now need to be very, very clear in your mind. What does rich actually mean? Or you want to be healthy. Well, I want to lose weight. Oh, that's fine. Okay. So how much do you weigh now? 
where do you want to be? So you become clearer. So your dream becomes a vision. And now you start taking action steps into, the, into that direction. And suddenly your vision becomes a mission. Oh, that's beautiful. And that's where the, the miracles happen. That's where the transformation happens. Mm -hmm. That's where the, when you take action. And that was exactly when you got up and went into that ravine and went to those first few steps. My God. And you it look just, back and think, with hindsight, that was such a tiny thing. Yet at that time, this was such a monumental achievement. I actually get goosebumps now thinking of just that first step that you took. How that is gold. That is you breaking the mold. That is you taking ownership, leadership. And that's that's what life is all about. You are gorgeous, Nita. I mean, here you are. Yeah. And you didn't stop there. Yes, you're doing the running, all that. But ultimately, you're now giving back. You're, you've written books. You actually share your journey. So tell us about your books. I mean, I see the books behind you. Come on. Now it's show and tell. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I have, uh, like you said, three books. And the one of them has been translated into Korean, which is very fun. But the first book, which is the running and mental health journey from the, you know, from that, it was actually before the ravine to the uh, first very long race I did. Uh, it's called Depression Hates a Moving Target, which was a motto. Apparently, um, a meditation teacher, Tara Brock, had said it years ago. And I, we looked at, we tried to find it when we were using it, when the, by we, I mean, yeah. the publisher and I. Um, because I would just want to make sure nobody had trademarked it or yeah. anything like that. But it wasn't, I couldn't find it. And and uh, it was just something that I'd said for years. And again, probably heard it from her. And uh, my friends and I would talk about it. You know, depression is a moving target. Just get out of bed. You know, depression is a moving target. Just do the laundry. You know, these simple Love things. Love and it. so that became the the title of that first book, because that's what it's about. It's about moving and not getting cured of mental health issues because I don't, you know, I still have chronic depression. I'm still bipolar, mm. still see a therapist, still take meds, but it's so much better, so much better. And then the second book is actually a writing journal. It's like a blank book that has author quotes and they're organized by topic. So it's a, it's a journal for you to write in. It's called, you should be writing because <laughs> that imposter always thinks you should be writing. <laughs> so it's kind of a play on that. Oh, nice. um, and that I that I co-wrote uh, with my editor, uh, Brendan Knight. And then um, there's another Mango author. Another Mango is my publisher. And uh, there's another Mango author that wrote uh, an introduction to it, Becca, Becca Anderson. And then the third book, the one that came out just in September of 2022, is called Make Every Move a Meditation. And that one is about how to, how to move mindfully, how to... Um, instead of sitting while you meditate, which is fantastic, and I recommend that highly, how to meditate while you're moving. So it can be anything from walking, even slow walking, to um, I have, I've interviewed some people for the book, just little tiny interviews by them, mm -hmm. where I have a guy who plays, he does Brazilian jujitsu, and he meditates anytime there's a stop, he like brings himself back. Um, one woman does it while she's sailing. Another guy does had to do, I think he had to do calisthenics as physical therapy, hmm. things like that. So um, I have a friend who plays pickleball, who meditates while he's playing pickleball. So Zumba, anything, any kind like that, because um, in sitting practice, it's only the posture that is sitting. The principles of meditation are the same. 
no matter what you're doing or not doing. And and so that's what that book's about. Is it's a it's just a book about how to meditate, but it happens to be that the posture is movement. And there's a lot of my experience running. Um, there's a couple other examples of other uh, sports I've done. Brilliant. Yeah. So yeah, Brilliant. those are my big three. Are the um, and I, they're all available on my website, which I'm sure you'll put a link into. I was um, about to say, what is your website? Is yeah, that your key? Me, yeah, it's just my name. It's nitasweeney.com. So it's N-I-T-A-S-W-E-E-N-E-Y.com, nitasweeney.com. And that's the best place to find my newsletter. That's the other thing. If you want to stay in touch with me, I'm kind of um, less and less on social media now mm. just for my own mental health. So uh, I have a newsletter and I don't send it very often, but that's the best way for people to stay in touch with me. Beautiful, beautiful. And guys, look down there into the description of the YouTube video and of the podcast, because all the, her, her information is easily accessible down there. And whilst you're down there, please press uh, the like and the subscribe button so that you don't miss out on the future episodes that are coming out. We are broadcasting the show every uh Tuesday and every Friday uh, in the week. So two interviews a week of some beautiful people who make me grow, who allow me to explore new avenues that make me hopefully a new and improved version. So why not come along for the ride? Uh, this is an amazing time here. And yeah, it is life is short. You might as well take every moment that you have got on this beautiful earth and well sometimes it's not so beautiful but you've got a choice to make it better by maybe doing something similar to nita by looking after yourself by going for a stroll which might turn into a run which might turn who knows you might meet each other one day in ohio <laughs> competing in a race you don't know <laughs> and it's just yeah but if if running is not your thing well when was the last time you danced why don't you start dancing every time you do a bit of workout uh, work in the kitchen <laughs> meal prep can certainly be very very cool maybe some activity there that really puts a smile on your face because that's what it is, is all about. Put a smile on our face, which then allows us to become happier and better us, I guess. Yeah. Nita, you're an amazing woman. Uh, you, It's beautiful to hear how you have transformed the new techniques you have developed on this journey, on this ongoing journey, where you are writing to help others, where you're running help others you've got a youtube channel i saw that you have uh yes i want to see nothing you like yours but thank you that is, oh, yeah, that is absolutely. there <laughs> well exactly so you're going out there you want to make this world a better place okay. and it is because of people like you that i still think there's hope for this world if we all do a little bit just a little bit could you all imagine that this world will change i do i strongly do but in order to do so, we all need to look after ourselves. And that's my big advice to you guys. Look after yourself and live with passion. Bye. I never give up. I never give up. I never give up. Turn around.